0: Hello and welcome to How to Start API Contract Testing podcast series with me, Lewis pacman Prescott. Where we'll be talking about the challenges of testing in microservices and how to start API contract testing to make microservice tests faster, more stable, and more realistic. Welcome back to the podcast. We have a bonus episode this week. Had a great conversation with Yusuf, who's just started as a developer advocate at Pacflow chatted for ages enough to make a bonus episode. In this episode we talk about his journey to becoming a developer advocate, open source software, open API specs, API blueprints, testing your automation framework and component integration testing. Welcome to the
1: podcast. Thanks for inviting me Lewis, this is my first ever podcast so I won't lie I'm a little bit nervous Um, and I've seen the the different channels that you've uh, that you're promoting on but uh yeah really excited to to be on and no worries the
0: first guest i had on was also a first timer so um hopefully it'll go smoothly for you i had a good listen it was really good so he set a, he set a top precedent thank you very much cool so yeah tell us about yourself what uh what is your role
1: what do you get up to so, yeah, I'm Yousaf Nabi. Uh, I live in the UK, leads to be precise at the moment, but uh, I've been around, so you probably can't place my accent. I've been in testing. Uh, I'm a bit of a, a self-confessed geek, um, massively into computers, cars, music, uh, guitars. And I like to find out how things tick, how they work. Yeah, not necessarily very good at putting them back together, sure. <laughs> um, but I found that kind of has his really resonated in my testing career.
0: Nice, I think that's a really good attribute of a of a tester is is someone who likes to dig in and, and work out what's going on underneath. Um, so that makes sense.
1: Yeah, definitely. Cool. Curious. So
0: you've just started a a new role as developer advocate at Packflow. So tell us a bit about that um, and your journey to to becoming an, an advocate.
1: Yeah, so I'm really pleased to have uh, joined the Packflow team as a developer advocate. So um, my journey to becoming a developer advocate, I think uh, some of you out there might be asking what a developer advocate is. Um, exactly, yeah. I found in my last role, had a bit of an identity crisis in tech. I, I wasn't really sure how to pen exactly exactly what I did. Um, mm-hmm. I quickly found throughout my testing career that I enjoyed talking to people about the things we were doing. I enjoyed having it, an eye on the goal of the end user and the the value the product was delivering them. And I think having lots of conversations with the people around me and empowering them into kind of good quality principles really it helped discover probably more defects i I enabled more people to discover defects in the system sooner than i ever could on my own um which i found really interesting
0: yeah that's really interesting
1: so so back in uh 2007 during my university career, I studied artificial intelligence and right. cybernetics. Uh, I really wanted to get into the ethical side of software computing. Um, mm-hmm. I'd probably watched too much Terminator. <laughs> and I thought going to, to Japan and stopping something like Skynet uh, taking over would be would be really interesting. But during my time at university, I was on a placement year and I... Yeah. Was doing uh, accessibility testing at a large mm-hmm. bank, and I found it amazing. Um, it was one of the most rewarding experiences in my life. Sure. I got to to see the the power that computers and software could bring mm-hmm. to to the real world to the real world in enabling people with assistive needs in coming back into the workplace. Yeah, and I was able to directly see the value that software testing provided.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And when I finished university, uh, the financial crash had happened, and mm. it was very difficult to to get a job with my university degree. Yeah. However, my time on my placement degree, I'd also studied and passed a an NIS- ISAB in software testing fundamentals. Yeah. And leaving university, that qualification meant more than my university <laughs> experience. Yeah. Uh, so I fell into a, a software testing job at a medical healthcare provider. And we were working on a e prescribing system. And it was very really scary. It was really scary because some of the so the e prescribing system, we would test different interactions between medications. Yeah. And certain interactions between medications could result in a patient dying.
0: Yeah.
1: So I would ask questions to my test lead, what happens if we let a defect through and we we cause someone, you know, pain, harm or, yeah. or worse death. So I was really scared and about the the risks um, mm. in in software testing. And in in this organization it was also very hard we 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 spoke about um kind of different software life cycles in software development life cycles in university such as v model and waterfall yeah and this organization was very much waterfall we had two releases a year we had 80 day regression packs i don't know if they were 80 day but they felt like it (laughs) yeah yeah and after about four years, four and a half years, I I thought that there must be a kind of different way, like some of these problems I'm feeling now. I'm sure my dad felt in in his computing career yeah. many many years ago. So I, I moved to an an insurance company, and this insurance company was going through an agile transformation. Yeah, and I found that really exciting. Um, mm-hmm. As a tester, they they empowered me to well, they empowered anyone in the team to get involved in any part of software development. Right. And I find that really exciting because as a tester, I wasn't stuck at the end of the, the development kind of life cycle. I didn't kind yeah. of get a, a developed product. I I was able to, to kind of get involved really early. So we, we talk about kind of in in Agile and Agile testing kind of shift left principles. Yeah. And it, it enabled me to start, talking to the developers whilst they were developing and it allowed me to peer into the code a little bit Mm -hmm. Uh, I didn't really understand it but yeah but I knew as we advocated for 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 great things like the as we as we talk about things like the testing pyramid we advocate for you know a, a small amount of End to end tests at the top, yeah. or a, a small amount of UI tests. Kind of, you've got this kind of uh, a layer down from that, you've got your integration tests. Mm-hmm. And then uh, a layer down below that, you've got unit tests. Mm-hmm. And would advocate, we'd say that the unit tests give you really, really quick feedback and you want loads yeah. of them. And you want very, very few uh, UI tests.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And your nice middle ground is this integration testing area. Gives you a nice trade off between feedback and confidence. Mm -hmm. Um, So, I was talking about this testing pyramid and I was advocating for writing lots of unit tests, but I had no idea what a unit test was. I'd never written a unit test in my life. Yeah. So, I'd moved, uh, I moved on to a a new company called SkyBet and I very quickly had been tasked with a, a small team in developing. API blueprints so yeah. there were lots of teams that developed microservices uh-huh. and we were looking for a common kind of standard yeah as lots of teams were were developing them it made sense to to make a kind of bootstrap um sure. and that bootstrap would contain you know nice documentation out of the box that was kind of standardized they approached me with regards to the API testing mm-hmm. and wrote my first program in node. Uh, right. Wow. It was a, an API testing framework using open source software. Yeah. So I very quickly realized I had been asked to do something that I didn't really have the skills to do. Sure. Um, I thought, why reinvent the wheel? I'd, yeah. I'd often heard of, of open source software and, Lots of great talented engineers take their time to to write programs and they they release them for free under different licenses mm-hmm. and you're welcome to use them. Mm-hmm. And if they don't do quite what you want them to do, you're able to tweak them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I picked a particular API testing tool. It was called Chakram mm-hmm. and I wrote a, a, a kind of API testing framework And we used Swagger to to document our API, which for me was a refreshing change from a Jira ticket that someone had scrolled an API in, a Word document that had been shared around or an email. Yeah. Very hard to work out what the master copy was at any one point. Exactly. Something very interesting I found when I was... um, Doing the development of the the testing framework, uh, a developer colleague had had come along and was was reviewing the the testing framework. He he started writing tests for mm-hmm. the testing framework, yeah, which I found really interesting. It was right. kind of testception. <laughs> yeah, um, he was he was asking, you know, as we were writing some of these custom methods and helpers, how do you know that's going to to do? Right what you you want it to do so I was interested in in, in, introduced kind of the first concept of um, unit testing Um, and I I was working with this this developer um, and this was before kind of we we had SDET um, software developer um, engineers in testing I began to to talk to him about his development career and some of his experiences and some of the the pains in Microservice development, yeah. And one of the the big pains he had was as as you develop a, a microservice and it would talk with a, a another microservice, sometimes the the communication between them would break break down. Yeah, and it might be something as innocuous as a as a changed field,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and you'd have to go and find the the team that that produced that that service and have a conversation with them about yeah. a changed field and someone's got to give way yeah. Someone's got to, to to change their field and and that becomes much harder for for a provider when they are when they're providing a, a service and they've got multiple consumers absolutely um and a, as you're developing your microservices as a, as a provider you you have the challenge of not just one person one team coming to you uh saying that that their their calls to their api have broken but there's multiple teams and yeah. you have to start considering things like versioning and backwards yeah. compatibility it becomes really difficult software delivery is hard enough as it is microservices were meant to make our lives easier right exactly yeah um and um, so we'd successfully implemented the the api blueprints but we hadn't put any form of of contract testing in there at, at, sure. at that moment at that point i'd the microservice blueprint went down a storm. The the developers really liked the experience of bootstrapping a, a new microservice. Yep. But they were still feeling the pain of the contract. Uh the the breaking contract. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to solve that problem at, at Skybet because I moved on to Sky. We were tasked with building a new greenfield. Uh, application it was a website that would be serving upgrades for the new flagship product the Sky Q box in the home right. and this new application was a, a react ui with mm-hmm. a graphql um, intermediary service there was a set of microservices built with spring boot it mm-hmm. was around 20 they ultimately all talked to a single legacy backend that was based up in Scotland in Livingston. Right. As a as a kind of greenfield application with twenty microservices in place and a GraphQL kind of layer, I had the the unique chance to capitalise on the, the pains we'd felt around contract testing. Yeah. So I was also quite empowered in this role technically to mm-hmm. either try and do the technical things myself so, kind yeah. of build CI/CD pipelines, or ask those around me to, you yeah. know, developers around me, empower them to to kind of help me build the the vision. So, we built a contract testing solution of sorts. So, one of the the pains I found with with integration testing in previous organizations, I didn't always have access to the source code, sure. so my only tools were end-to-end testing tools or integration api integration testing tools yeah against real kind of live services so i'd have to wait for something to be developed and deployed into a a test environment a single journey um through through the ui front end might you know touch kind of a, a different number of services yeah people would often complain about the the integration test being flaky yeah the builds are red or uh when i joined a particular organization we were able to deploy software but the general status quo was red builds are okay and it's safe right. to deploy. Wow. Um, the tests are just flaky we can just rerun them yeah yeah and i could understand why these integration tests were were flaky yeah um, when I find a defect, I'd really like to look into to the root cause. Um, mm-hmm. But when your integration test fails, uh, and your failure point could be any one of twenty services, mm-hmm. like looking for a needle in a haystack, for sure, yeah. So we could see we could see contract testing plugging that gap. So we, as testers, we're we're always trying to to talk about testing at the right level mm-hmm. and ensuring we get the right value, uh, and and also. In order to try and reduce the amount of bloat you have with testing, you want to yes. ensure there's as little overlap as possible. When you start looking at the the unit testing that or, or the testing that developers are doing, you realize that they're not just testing the smallest units of code, but they're doing component integration testing as well. Yeah. So they're looking at the challenge of testing these microservices and they create mock providers Yep. Of, the, of the the services that they call, they're, they're managing their own test data. That test data can very quickly become unwieldy or yep. can become stale. It doesn't necessarily represent the, the provider's state at any one time. As testers, with our integration testing tools, we probably got our own idea of what good test data is and, and kind yes. of test data management. We've been doing that as our bread and butter. So... We're doing this component integration testing at a developer level. Yep. And we can do this in our CI pipelines and we can get really fast feedback loops. So when we talk about shift left, we get really closer to that ideal. But in order to, to reduce some of the, the risks of those mocks becoming stale, yep. we had the idea of contracts. Mm-hmm. And if we could share those contracts with our providers, it would be really useful. At Sky, we built, Quite uh we built a, a test pipeline, um, a CI CD pipeline that created a shared set of mocks. Right. And these shared set of mocks could be used by the developers in their in their unit and component testing. And we would also valid validate particular CI builds against these mocks we were able to validate the deployed services mm. against these mocks as well so when the service yeah. was deployed we would call the the real service and we would check we would do some schema comparison against our yeah. mocks to try and ensure there was little drift it was quite a a complex setup i mean yeah. there was a lot of moving parts uh so to we we had some good documentation to to support it but whilst. Trying to to implement all that and document it, we also needed to start a change organizational hearts and minds. And I think I'm sure you can probably talk talk about some of the challenges that we've with, with getting organisations on board.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's always it's always difficult when you're starting from the point where you've already got your integration tests, you've already got your end to end tests. And also you've got to get the developers to buy into adding another level of tests, right? Yeah. And it's, as you say, it's building that infrastructure around it. I mean, Packflow does that for us now and Pact is a great source for that. But ultimately the challenge of getting someone to think about how they're going about testing it in a different way, I think that's what's quite hard to, for people to get a grasp of. is like when you start TDD, it's a complete mindset shift. And so getting people on board with that idea and then contract testing is not just the developer it's if you're in a big organization you've got the solution architect who needs to be brought into it and then yeah it's all that stuff around it so yeah absolutely i i feel feel you on that one yeah yeah and that's that's the
1: the crux of it. it it's it's hard for organizations to to change at that kind of scale and level and it was difficult for me to it was it was a difficult sell right i was going to ask ask development teams to to slow down a little bit, yep. to implement contract testing, to to stop feeling the pain of integration testing every day, yeah. but to make fundamental change to the way they work, I knew it would would save time ultimately in terms of delivery. We could deliver things quicker with more confidence.
0: I think that's one of the things that's hard. That's a hard sell. Is that delayed gratification? You know what I mean. People are happy with the current situation. It's not perfect but they're happy to go along with it. Mm-hmm. Whereas you, you're you saying, I will sell you something, which once we've implemented it to a level, because you don't get the value straight away. You don't know. You have to invest that time. You have to have quite a number of tests. As you said, you've got a number of consumers. You need to have all of those consumers adding in those scenarios. So, it's not an immediate response. So that's the thing, is you need to sell something which is gonna take time to deliver. So it is a hard
1: sell. Yeah, I think I think one thing to it involves collaboration, first and foremost. You know, you're yeah. gonna, you you you're asking teams to have conversations earlier and sooner about kind of documenting their APIs and agreeing their kind of use up front. by doing that you you don't feel the pain later so yeah it was a it was a big challenge to try and find out well what do the people in in the positions of organization organizational power care about and and how will this help them um so that that worked really really well but but I wasn't able to crack that organizational nut I don't Mm -hmm. think and I I went on a stress control course and one of the, right. the main messages they, they gave me on the stress control course was worry about the things you can control and yeah, don't worry yeah. about the things you can't. Yeah. So ultimately I left work IT entirely to, to go and play on old cars. Right. Wow. Yeah. Uh, it was, it was refreshing. It was really exciting. Um. So, but, but after about, Kind of four uh, four months of of tinkering. I got a call from a, an old colleague, an old manager at Skybet, and he said, "Come and join us at Infinity Works as a right. as a consultant. We could definitely benefit from a bit of your your test knowledge."
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I definitely felt a change in a pace of life over those past four months. Right, I missed talking to people. Um, mm. I'd missed sharing. You know things I was passionate about yeah I'd always loved giving things back to the community I've written Mm. blogs in the car car kind of world before and um in in the computer kind of hardware world so yeah it it felt like a a natural kind of position shift to go back into well to, to go back into IT but to go into a consultancy role yeah, and the consultancy role provided me with the a, a bit of a bit of a blank canvas. So, so moving to the consultancy felt like a, a natural fit for me. In there, uh, we were we were due to be developing a, a going on to a new Greenfield project, which again again is always exciting. We were replacing a, an old school legacy application and we were looking to build kind of a distributed system in aws with multiple mm-hmm. microservices uh, a static site served from s3 with a load of serverless lambdas uh all yeah. backed by api gateway yes. i sh- on my first day I went in and everyone was talking about lambdas and I had no idea what they were talking about honestly but I knew there was going to be some new challenges ahead and and straight away I was kind of thinking we've got some distributed systems um Mm. distributed microservices and there's going to be contracts between each of these so let's look at getting contract testing in early so one of the first things I did was I and it kind of ties back nicely to the developer advocate theme. Um, mm. I I wondered. I was in a so I was in a, a team of around eight people. So there was um, six developers, one mm. kind of uh, account lead who had a lot of experience um, in delivery, uh, agile mm-hmm. delivery, and one tech lead and myself. So I was the only tester. Yeah. And I very quickly thought this is a monumental challenge ahead of us and yeah. I can't do this alone. So, so how do I get the guys on the guys and girls on board? So we had a we had a, a whiteboard session back when people were able to to be within yes. two meters of each other in an office. <laughs> and um we we just talked about all the different types of testing that, that people knew about. Yeah. Uh, you know, all the different types of unit testing there were, mm. all the different types of non-functional testing, and I'll say the the subject of contract testing came up. This is where kind of the story of Pact got weaved in. Mm. So one of the the pre one of the colleagues in my team, he previously worked with the Sainsbury's account and right. he had used PACT there. there. So PACT is a contract testing tool and it provides that complexity in that CI/CD setup that I'd previously mm. created at SkyBet, yeah. it was all neatly encapsulated in the PACT tool. So yeah. the PACT team had seen a, a, a similar problem in their organization in 2013 or, or slightly earlier. And in 2013, they open-sourced the PACT product because mm-hmm. they realized that other people were feeling this pain, much like we've seen in the Microsoft's yeah. world. The, the tool quickly grew in popularity. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. I hadn't heard about it at, at the time that that I'd implemented my uh, work at my last place. But I got to hear about it now and I was really excited. And it, it looked great. It had a, a a really strong feature set. It was supported in multiple languages, which was great. You know, yeah. It was open source so if it didn't do quite what i wanted it to do yeah we you know i could make it again going back to that thing of not reinventing the wheel yeah um yeah so got really excited with the 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 packed community and if you've ever looked at the the packed docs or packed website or any of mm-hmm. the 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 packed ecosystem of tools they will lead you towards the packed slack group there's around uh, just just shy of 4000 uh, members uh, wow. in this group so it's a, a huge community mm. and i've been part of it for um since since 2018 There's 4000 people who are involved in contract testing or feeling the pain or feeling the benefits of of the pack the, the pack tooling the fact that it's open source and these the the team have taken their time to to build something and to work with the community and understand their pain really really resonated with me. It mm-hmm. resonated with me from the developer advocate perspective of enabling developers to be more efficient at doing their jobs, because ultimately the organisations they work for are not usually in the market of being a software house they're doing something else you know ikea yeah they're selling you um wardrobes but yep. they probably need to employ a, a a software firm to to keep everything going
0: um so how how does that translate to to what you do now uh, at packflow
1: so i think some of the the key attributes of a, a developer advocate are Some of the the three main ones I'll kind of pick out are empathy uh, Mm -hmm. as as one of them. I think um, being empathetic towards your end users and having an eye on what success means for them in whatever industry and whatever product it is you're delivering and you you advocate for their best interests.
0: Mm.
1: So it might be connecting your users with your developers at yeah. a yeah, really early stage, and being empathetic towards developers themselves, you know, understanding their challenges and pains yeah. and working out how you can solve them sooner. Um, I think the second one is is having a passion for for sharing knowledge, mm-hmm. especially in the, the tech industry. Uh, I found when I first started, I felt intimidated by by those around me, people who had kind mm. of twenty, thirty years of experience and had written books. Yeah. And I I'd learned some things along my way, and I just wanted to talk about them. And and as I spoke about them to the people around me, if it resonated with them, they amplified the message as well. So yeah, um, and then. You might think uh, the the words developer and the developer advocate might mean that you'd expect someone to be really, really technical. You know, Yeah. they're, they're one of these rock star developers. They can code anything in any uh-huh. language. But I don't think you need to be because mm-hmm. the developers themselves are, are really, you know, have spent their careers honing really relevant skills in um, yeah. different languages and they're really good at solving problems but sometimes because they're not connected with the users they they don't necess- they're not solving the right problems yeah. so having some technical background allows you to be able to tailor your conversations um, mm-hmm. be it with a product owner where it has to be a bit more rounded and less technical um, but when yeah. you' have those conversations with your developers and tech leads and you really want to to bring on some kind of organized organizational change and best practices you need to speak a different language so that's where we're having some tech skills really comes in valuable
0: for sure yeah definitely I think that's comes from being a tester as well it very much helps when you can look at the code read the code and you can speak the same language as the developer I think that really helps with that relationship um, so yeah that's a really good outline thank you for that I'm interrupting the podcast to remind you all to like and subscribe. I hope you're enjoying the episode. Let me know on Twitter at Weege Prescott or in the comments on your preferred podcast platform. Thank you. Back to the podcast. Yeah, I just wanted to touch upon your, where you're living in, in Leeds at the moment. Obviously, I'm I'm based out of London. The tech scene here is obviously really good. But Leeds has a great hub for that as well. I did my graduate scheme there. And spoke at the Leeds Testing Atelier conference, or unconference, as they like to call it. The Leeds tech scene is is buzzing as well. So I think we need to call out that London isn't just the only hub for techies.
1: There are oh, other uh, places, definitely. Um, Leeds Leeds is a great city. So I've been here for around. 6 or 7 years now I've not attended the the Leeds testing Ortelier, but I do know that the ministry of testing also hold events in Leeds mm. um they're actually due to be uh holding their latest one in April so check out meetup um, to find out some more details around that yeah from a from a tech hub perspective it's really exciting i think uh, obviously many people will have seen the news about channel 4 opening yeah. up in leeds so they are sited at the majestic just opposite the the Leeds train station which uh-huh. suffered a, a large fire a, a few years ago so oh god yeah it's absolutely great seeing that that building all done up we've uh, got some amazing tech players in in yorkshire um something that's been really exciting that i was really passionate about was at my previous role at infinity works they have mm-hmm. a really vibrant tech academy um mm-hmm. where they take uh, people from all different backgrounds they they run boot camp courses to to get people into into tech and we are then seeing the the people move on from there to to loads of different tech organizations and spreading the great word so yeah amazing. it's unbelievably amazing can't wait to get you up here but equally <laughs> well, i'm down in london i'll give you a shout yeah um, definitely i'm sure i'll be up in leeds soon also uh i would love to speak to you more uh, in future episodes of your uh, podcast and um, so you can follow the journey of us at Flow. Uh,
0: yeah, definitely. I think it would be great to get you on again once bidirectional has been adopted. See some case studies, hear about how it's going down, and all those initiatives that you mentioned about making it easier for developers to contribute. So yeah, it
1: would be great to hear about how how things are going later down the line. Yeah, in terms of same posting, we in terms of same posting. Uh, if you are interested, you should come join us in the Pact slack community at slack.pact.io or you can check out our website at docs.pactflow.io where you can check out some of our great university tutorials and examples where you can see the bi-directional flows in action and test them out on your machine we'd love to hear your feedback on the new feature and if there's anything more that you'd wish to see give us a shout
0: Yeah, good stuff. All the links and stuff will be in the show notes, so they'll be all there for you to take a look. Yeah, definitely check out the tutorials and stuff. They're really, really easy to follow and get involved. Thanks for coming on, Um, Yusuf. Really appreciate it.
1: No, thank you for being such an amazing champion of the uh, patch community, and we look forward to working with you more in the future, my friend. Thank you.